I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to episode 10 of the HR Coffee Time podcast with me, your host, Faye Wallace, If we haven't met before, I'm a career coach and outplacement specialist, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. I've made this podcast especially for you to help you have a fulfilling and successful career without having to work yourself into the ground. And this week's episode is another guest interview. We've had a couple of guest interviews over the past few weeks, but I will be back with a solo episode next week. This time, my guest is wellbeing expert Adele Stickland, and she shares her ideas about tackling stress, both our own stress and stress experienced by people that we work with. And she also focuses on how we can build resilience. They're just such important topics at the moment where really so many of us are having to endure stress like never before. I absolutely love her take on resilience and I hope that you're going to as well. So without further ado, let's get started and dive straight in. So Adele, it is lovely to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Faye. It's beautiful to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me along. You're very welcome. And I thought it would be really helpful for anyone who's listening right now, if you could just explain exactly who you are and tell us a little bit about what you do. I'd be delighted. My name is Adele Stickland. I am a resilience trainer and an accredited ICF executive coach. So my elevator pitch, I suppose, is I'm a well-being in the workplace expert and I specialise in helping professional services um, improve their resilience so that their teams can be more productive and be focused throughout this 
disruptive COVID change as we all move into this new version of hybrid working. Fantastic. Thank you very much. A very pithy elevator pitch. I'm extremely impressed. You've clearly refined that down to a fine art. I've tried to over the years. Yes. Um, Yeah. Resilience trainer who helps financial services organisations so that their teams stay productive and focused and laser sharp and they feel motivated to stay within the business because we've really seen a skills gap over lockdown. Before lockdown, it was beginning to emerge, but during lockdown, definitely people have made all sorts of different changes to their lifestyle. They've seen the way that life could be. Um, I suspect there'll be quite a big jump in more small businesses and entrepreneurial businesses as people kind of move out of the corporate sphere and, and try other things. And then possibly in about three or four years time, people will jump back into the corporate life. It just depends on how people feel about working for themselves and stuff like that. But working from home is definitely here for the long term and creating a coaching culture within organisations is something that is going to help with that hybrid working. Yes, we've definitely been going through extremely strange times, haven't we? And the reason that I invited you on the show was after I saw a piece of content that you'd created where you were talking about resilience and stress. And I just loved your take on all of this. It felt quite unique and quite different to anything else that I'd heard or read about it. So it would be really helpful if you could just start off by telling us what you think resilience is. Great question. So when I do some workplace trainings, I tend to do an awareness training, first of all, and then awareness around resilience. And then we'll go deeper on a couple of other resilience trainings where we actually start to see in action. So the first question that I ask on an awareness training is what is resilience? And 70 to 80 percent of the feedback will be the ability to bounce back. Fine. That's kind of the standard definition. Resilience is that ability to bounce back. But it's so much more than that. Ability to bounce back sounds a bit like you said, pithy. It's like, okay, so we've fallen over, we'll jump up, we'll get going. It's not really like that. Resilience is more about personal development. It's falling over, it's having an issue, it's learning from those issues, it's understanding what happened, the reasons why it happened. It's personal growth. It's more of a positive approach to work and an outlook on life. It's something that creates more problem-solving skills and helps to maintain motivation. It's not really reactive. Over the long term, it's when people become proactive when they face challenges. So to kind of summarise, I wouldn't say just bouncing back. I would say bouncing back from adversity with personal development, with growth. We've learned something from that adversity. We're growing from that adversity. It doesn't mean that you're constantly Prozac happy, that you're happy all the time. Oh, my word, I've fallen over. Something dreadful has happened in my life. I'm just going to ignore it and I'm going to move on. That's not what resilience is. Resilience is building on the skills from the observations and how we handled the crisis and how we move on to hate to say it, but the next crisis, what skills have we learned from this position that we then take into our later life? Oh, thank you for going into all that detail. It's really helpful. And yes, definitely, I would say that from my perspective, it has to be more than just being able to bounce back 
So building on that slightly, having looked at a lot of your work, I know that you see, well, I'm not sure actually if you would say you see there as being this link between resilience and stress, but you definitely talk about them as being quite intersected. So could you just tell us a little bit more about that? What you think that relationship between them is? Well, I think stress is kind of inevitable. We all have levels of stress. I think, you know, in the well-being atmosphere, in the well-being sphere, what we would say is that a little bit of stress is good to get you motivated, is to get you going. But stress, when it becomes chronic, turns into burnout. And you've got four or five stages of burnout. And it's recognising those. It's recognising chronic stress as it turns into habitual stress. So, little bit of stress gets you through the project you feel motivated you've got a new project yeah this feels good but then you start living like that you know and that project turns into a long-term project it starts to get bigger and bigger and then you're in your workplace and you're you're feeling sort of not actually in the workplace at the time you're more presenteeism will start to um, show you start to be a little bit more pessimistic about life and then it becomes habitual where you're just constantly like that and you don't even notice and that to me is kind of where stress is that it accumulates and resilience is the ability to know that you're in stress because resilience is all about emotional well-being and emotional positivity it's being able to see okay I know where I am I can recognize what I'm doing I recognize the symptoms I'm a little bit bad tempered okay I'm a very bad tempered I'm feeling very negative it's recognizing it and then being able to pull yourself out of it and make changes so resilience and the well-being skills that we've got all the tools that we use nutrition sleep mindfulness, meditation, that M word that nobody wants to talk about, meditation, all those wonderful things, they're the ones that help us to become more resilient. So to me, resilience is kind of where we want to be. It's the peak. We use the tools, which are nutrition, exercise, movement, blah, blah, blah. And stress is kind of where we're at and what we need to climb out of it to get us to that resilient pillar, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense. And I think it's such an interesting way of describing the two things and how they are related to each other. Because when I first started hearing the word resilience being bandied about I suppose a few years ago now, I don't remember really hearing about resilience much, maybe 10, 15 years ago. It seems to have been a word that's become more and more and more popular. And my fear with this push for resilience that was often being talked about is a concern that actually that involves people just working harder and harder and being able to endure more stress. So it's great to hear it being approached from a completely different angle, which isn't just, you know, yes, keep on going, even if times are incredibly tough, but actually being able to acknowledge this is a stressful situation. I am now feeling stressed. I'm not just going to push through this. I'm going to come up with tools to help me get through it. That's so fascinating because it I didn't even occur to me that it would have that kind of, oh, let's keep going until we're absolutely exhausted and burnt out. For me, it's all about awareness. I mean, resilience skills to me are emotional intelligence the basis of resilience is emotional intelligence skills. And if you're pushing yourself so hard in your job, 
then you're going to burn out, as we've just talked about, but also you're not going to be able to do your job properly. I often talk about my own personal journey, so I'll just kind of dip into that quickly because I think it illustrates the difference between what we've been through in COVID and what we would normally have been through. So when I first started my corporate career, I left university with a law degree and walked straight into a job at Saatchi and Saatchi. Fantastic, wonderful, really exciting, helicopters down the Thames, meeting Daley Thompson. He wasn't a triathlete, he was a crazy athlete. So meeting really famous people, loving every moment of it. We worked incredibly hard, we party hard. And then I fell pregnant with my first son, very happily, but I just couldn't keep the pace going. It was horrendous. And I remember a letter landing on my empty desk. I was really, really anal at the time. Empty desk and a letter landed and the phone rang. And those two things happening in once just sent me over the top. And I walked out of that office and I didn't return because the burnout had hit me hard. And it was obvious. It was an obvious burnout. I could see where it was coming from. I could see where it was building from. And it was glaringly obvious. This is what's happened to me. I was signed off by the GP. I left the building. I was young. You know, I was in my early 20s. I didn't really have any way of stopping myself getting into that. So I was quite interested in that comparison to what's happened during COVID. So during COVID, I've got much more skills. I know what's going on. I'm aware of burnout. I make sure that I do my run every morning. It's sacrosanct. I either run or I go to Pilates or I do something. Exercise for me is paramount first thing in the morning. Um, That gets me going. That gets me started for the day. And I know that I'm at my desk by a certain time. So I've got things in place. And then we had COVID. (laughs) So going back to routines during COVID was particularly important making sure that we stuck to a new routine but we had a routine it's what the body gets used to it what creates a sense of psychological safety zoom meetings stress of the unknown there's a little part of the brain called the amygdala and it is on constant search for stress it's like it's a prehistoric part of the brain and it's trying to keep us in survival mode fight or flight it releases all the adrenaline all the cortisol and it's constantly on alert and during lockdown during covid it was just going bananas (laughs) for everybody and what i noticed about my burnout there And I noticed it with lots of companies that I was working with as well. It wasn't that obvious, instantaneous, oh, my God, life is too hard. It just crept up, crept up, crept up, crept up. And we were experiencing presenteeism. So we were zoning out, zooming out, like pun. So we were just in front of the computer on all these Zoom meetings and there were some really interesting physical manifestations. So jaw ache, lots and lots of people going into the physio, going into the chiropractors because their jaws had got so tight. We were recognising quite severe symptoms. I don't want to go too much into this, but they, they were quite severe symptoms and it just crept up on us. It wasn't the obvious signs that we had to look for. And I think resilience there means that we had to be incredibly emotionally agile really knowing ourselves knowing not necessarily the traditional burnout signs but different signs and that we were able to do something about it and as I say going back to a routine 
and actually calling it a day, you know, not working till 10, 11 o'clock at night, which lots of people were, we've got to start pulling back from that. We've got to start creating a routine now that fits with our future. Yes, it's incredible how key routines can be. And that's something I've come across in my outplacement work as well, actually, which is where I support people who are being made redundant with getting ready for their next roles, whether that's CV writing or LinkedIn help or interview coaching. And a lot of the time I find that people will think, I've got to get a new job. And so there is a real danger of them being sucked into sitting at their desk for hours trawling through job sites because they feel that they have to and it starts taking over their whole life and they don't go out and something that can be really helpful especially where we're all not in offices anymore is to actually build in this pretend commute and build in structure to their day so people going oh okay <laughs> don't have a real commute anymore so what I'll do is I'll open the front door and I'll I'll go for a walk for 10 minutes and then I'll come back and I'll say okay that's when I'm going to start my work or trying to find a new job today or if it's someone who isn't facing redundancy that's when I'm going to start my day for today and then yes building in other things as well and it can just make such an enormous difference I think to how you're feeling if you do do that so I completely agree Adele I've seen that yes firsthand a lot I think over the past few months yeah, I think I think we were calling it presenteeism burnout, which was just sort of turning up and not really being aware of what was going on. We were kind of it was almost an out of body experience. You know, we're, yeah, I'm doing the job. I'm here. I'm happy. I'm doing everything. But actually, we're not giving it our best performance. And that's when productivity and performance on the long term starts to decline. I mean, what you're talking about going outside and, and building in that pretend commute is fantastic. And they are well-being tools. And there's lots of different well-being tools that people can use. I think where resilience comes in is the acknowledgement that we have the skills that that's what's going on. Now, whatever tool you use, it's having that emotional intelligence to use the tool I think that's a resilient skill. That's the mental agility, because as you've said, when somebody's lost their job, the amygdala, that part of their brain is like, whoa, I've got to get this sorted. And it could be anything. It could be that you're worried about your partner losing their job, or it could be that you're worried about the kids not going to school, whatever it is. It triggers that response, that fear, that flight response in our brain. And resilience is more about finding out how we can adapt, what we can use, what skills that we have to just separate ourselves from the issue, from the chronic stress and look after ourselves. And that's the key bit because we all know what to do. We all know that we should be exercising. We all know that we should be hydrating. We all know that we should be stepping away from our desks. But do we do it? <laughs> and that is, to me, emotional agility, emotional intelligence, resilience. So resilience is the emotional skill and well-being is the tools that we use to make sure that our whole well-being is being looked after. So part of that then, when you talk about it being the emotional skill, is that really in being able to motivate yourself to do something about it, even if you don't really feel like or want to do those things? This is, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I talk about a lot is deferred gratitude. So 
it's two things, really. It's dissonance. We're not comfortable being uncomfortable. So we will do anything not to be uncomfortable. So if there's something that we can do that's going to make us feel better quickly, we'll go for that. So if we feel a glass of wine or several is going to make us feel better quickly, we'll go and do it. Retail therapy. You know, it becomes a phrase. We'll go out, we'll go shopping, we'll gossip, we'll talk, we'll do all sorts of things rather than actually deal with the problem. So lack of motivation, everybody has it. But if we don't look at the bigger picture, if we don't look at where we want to go in the longer term, what the strategy is, if we keep looking at this short termism, if we don't defer the gratitude, if we don't look to the bigger picture, then we kind of just keep chipping away and we keep staying in that hamster wheel of being more and more stressed. There's another piece. There's a piece of research about deferred gratitude. I talk about this all the time. And it's the marshmallow experiment. I tease my children with it all the time. Five-year-olds in a classroom. Actually, they're pulled into a room on their own. And the psychological research was you can have a marshmallow now or if you wait 10 minutes, you can have two. So this is the definition of deferred gratitude. And what they did is the kids that deferred the marshmallow, they waited. They went on to measure their performance in five and ten years' time. And those children all did better. They all did better in terms of their strategies for school, in terms of their work and where they went in life, their partnerships, all sorts of things, all seemed to be much more positive and on an upward trajectory. And they did some crazy things. You know, these kids were whistling, hiding their eyes, literally putting their hands over their eyes. They were sitting on their hands, you know, but they tried to defer the gratitude and they became more successful. So I hear what you're saying about motivation. I know it's an issue. In a coaching culture, I don't say to people when I'm coaching them, this is what you need to do because I did it for years. And I still hear other, um, when I do coaching teachings, when I train people with it, I can still hear them offering solutions. It doesn't work because those solutions are your solutions. They're not the recipient's solutions. So what the recipient will do is come up with a barrage of reasons why they can't do that. But in a coaching culture, if you're looking for them to be motivated, you say, what's the best outcome for you? What would great look like for you? Then they have to come up with the solution. <laughs> I'm No, I'm completely passionate about that from my own coaching as well. It just makes such a difference. It really, really does. If someone has come up with the idea for themselves, they're so much more likely to be committed to it. HR has been under such incredible stress since the pandemic began. It can be an incredibly demanding role anyway, even when things are going really, really well. The challenges that people are up against have just been absolutely huge. So it would be wonderful if for finishing off our conversation today, you have any pointers. I know that you've said from a coaching perspective, people need to come up with their own solutions, which I completely agree with. But if you could talk a little bit more around how, when they are absolutely swamped, they can build up their own resilience to be able to cope with the situation they're in at the moment? I think 
continuing the thread, I mean, I know what you're saying because I speak to HR and learning development all the time and my hat off to HR. I All I have to do is study one particular area and I can devote myself to that. HR, learning development, they're doing five, six, seven, eight, 15 million different topics that they have to be specialisms in. And I, you know, I think it's incredible. And just keeping that calm and trying to stay calm while you've got X, Y and Z barrage coming at you. I, I think it's an incredible job. I really genuinely do. And I've had, yeah, I'll leave it at that. It's an incredible job. Well done. So I think First of all, being aware of yourself, knowing that what you're doing is superhuman, knowing that what you're doing is incredibly challenging, especially at the moment. And you might have more than one hats. So you might also be a parent or you might have aging parents. You've got to look at the whole picture. And, you know, this whole theme about bringing yourself to work, I know HR feel that, you know, they've got to have that dignity, they've got to kind of step back, they've got to be that calm person that bridges the gap between all sorts of different divisions. So just being aware of who you are and giving yourself that accolade that you can step away, I've done a great job for today, and now I'm going to walk away. So emotional intelligence has four domains. It's that self-awareness. So knowing you've done a great job, knowing that you've done enough for today, (laughs) self-management, which I know that HR are quite good at anyway. That's why they're in the role, because they're able to kind of keep their emotions in regulation, but also having that huge amount of empathy and that social awareness and relationship management. And those skills, they're really, really good. That's why they're in the job. But that whole self-awareness piece is really important. So what I would say is be aware of the tools, know what the tools are, having a great diet. You know, you know that snacking on sugary food or having loads of coffees is going to give you that high and low. I'm a qualified nutritionist, so I could be incredibly boring here. But I will just say, you know what triggers you. You know what is going to make you feel pants, terrible in half an hour's time. So making sure that you're regulating your food, making sure that your boundaries are in place. So coming back to that self-awareness piece, knowing what your boundaries are. If your team member is coming to you and saying, I'd like you to do this by blah, blah, blah. It's having that courageous conversation and saying, well, which project would you like me to drop in order to pick this one up? Polite, courteous, (laughs) very strong boundaries. It's having that ability to be able to pushback which I know can be quite difficult so feeling comfortable and we've talked about this as another theme routine having a routine so then you know if you've got a routine if you know I use me as an example so I go and I do my exercise in the morning so I'm at my desk by nine o'clock I then have a little meditation in the middle of the afternoon and I'm generally finished work by about six and that gives me time in and out of that day for my routine and once you've got a routine it comes into habits so I quite like Barack Obama who doesn't Steve Jobs Mark Zuckerberg Albert Einstein they all wanted to reduce decision fatigue so they do the same things every day they have the same breakfast they wear the same clothes Mark Zuckerberg's always got these white t-shirts always that Steve Jobs and Barack Obama only ever wears black or blue suits so they they just reduce the decisions that they've got to do in their own time so when they're at work they're really focused so To reiterate, 
self-awareness. Well done. <laughs> Fantastic job. You're doing a great job. Secondly, boundaries, knowing what's important to you. And part of those boundaries is feeling comfortable pushing back on requests, setting up a routine, and those routines will lead to habits and just being aware of decision fatigue. So I know that sounds a bit all encompassing, but picking something that works for you and going with that, setting that in place and then building upon it. So I hope that helps people to reduce their own stress and boost their resilience. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Adele. You've given me some ideas straight away for things I could be doing to make myself more resilient, that's for sure. And so on that final note, it would be wonderful if you could let everyone know how they can find out more about your fantastic work and how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to. My favourite place is LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I think it's incredibly professional. Everybody is so polite. <laughs> Everybody is self-aware. You go into Facebook and it's <laughs> it's not the same. Um, so you'll find me on um, LinkedIn. That's where I hang out the most. And it is simply my name, Adele Stickland, not strict, stick, <laughs> stickland. And um, also visit my website, which is the same name, adelstickland.com. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Adele. And I totally agree about LinkedIn. I really love it as well. And I think I forgot to pre-warn you about this part. So I'm really sorry if I did. But at the very end, I love to ask my guests if they have got a top book recommendation that they would like to share. So many. <laughs> um, I quite like The How of Happiness. Oh, I haven't heard of that one before. Oh, that's lovely. That's one of our. So if you're a resilience trainer, this is one of your um, this is one of your go to Bibles. Yeah, I've got The How of Happiness by Sonia. Very clearly for you again. That's Sonia. A tricky to pronounce surname. That's no problem. What I'll make sure I do is just put a link to the book and the full spelling of the author's surname in the show notes so that if anyone would like to take a look at it, they can. I will definitely be taking a look at it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So it's called A Practical Guide to Getting the Life You Want, The How of Happiness. And it is kind of a Bible for resilience trainers and things like that. And it talks more about emotional intelligence. It's full of examples. And that's what we all want, isn't it? It's examples of um, what's happening with other people and why positivity is so important. And I, amongst all the different things I spoke about, didn't really get a chance to talk about positivity, but it's all to do with the way that the brain chemistry works and the and the way that the brain will will come up with solutions if we're in that positive frame of mind. So yeah, she talks all about that. So I highly recommend that book. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Adele. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I really hope you found this interview with Adele interesting. It certainly made me think about things I could be putting in place to be better at prioritising my own well-being. And I recorded the interview several weeks ago, which means that I have had time to actually put some things in place. And I'm now much more popular with my dog Cookie, as I've been trying to take her out a lot more for quick walks, 
not quite once a day, but at least a few times a week. So as well as it being good for her, it gets me out in the fresh air and I think it's really good for me to step away from my screen, especially now that most of my coaching work is over Zoom instead of being in person. There are lots of benefits to coaching over Zoom, but I think being at my screen all day probably isn't the best idea. And I'm even wondering if Cookie will start to see me as her favourite person in the house instead of my husband, who she normally worships because he's much better at walking her than I am normally. And if you did enjoy the episode, I'd be hugely grateful if you could rate and review it for me in Apple Podcasts. And if you do decide to do that, please let me know so I can make sure I say a proper thank you. So that's it for today. Goodbye for now. And I'll be back next week with advice about networking for your career.